Hello and welcome to the... Oh, dear. <laughs> it's called the Crate and Crowbar. Thank you, Graham, for filling in there. We should rename it the Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, the... <laughs> welcome to the 370th Oh, dear podcast. Uh, and we're a podcast about PC gaming. Um, it is the 19th of May, 2021, on the day we're recording this. I'm Alex Wiltshire and tonight I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. And Graham Smith. Hello. It's very nice to speak to you on this evening. I'm in an attic room, which is getting hotter by the second. It's like a sauna in here. It's possible, as you're listening to this, that I'm naked. Well, actually, what I mean is, as I'm, <laughs> it's possible that by the end of this podcast, I will be naked. As you're listening to this, I don't know. Maybe I'm naked. Maybe I'm clothed. Maybe I'm asleep. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Listeners write in the moment that Graham is actually fully naked. Uh, and, and <laughs> maybe that's something in the intonation of the voice. A surge of confidence, perhaps, yeah. comes through that uh, that might let you know. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure Chris has been semi- admitted to be semi-naked during one of these podcasts during the summer. Yeah. Uh, cause, uh, we used to, when we used to pod at Marsh's old place. Um, Marsh's current place. No. Chris is confusing. We all just swap houses, apparently. <laughs> oh, we, we all sleep in the same bed, like in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Uh, yeah, that, that used to be his absolutely sweltering room. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we're all used to being cooked. Um, yeah, enjoy that, everybody. Uh, in fact, video game takes, though. Uh, Alex, you know what's been going on in video game world. I've, I was, uh, I was, I was, I was amazed by uh, the news that so uh, uh, Take Two have um, done an investors call. Um, yesterday, I think, in which they said that 145 million copies of GTA V have been sold since its release in 2013, which which is dumbfounding um, to me. That's a lot of copies. Yeah, to me as well. That's insane. Like, I think I've come to expect that from certain family-friendly games that I assume have broader appeal than than the old runaround murder fest, but I guess it's GTA Online, isn't it? It's mm. just a juggernaut. And I guess those players are probably not only buying the game, but a lot of them are then spending microtransaction stuff on yeah. in-game whatevers. It's um, a juggernaut that never ends. You can understand why they wouldn't rush to make a GTA 6, mm. wouldn't you? I mean, why the hell would you? I mean, especially since those. So, I mean, I think that the Red Dead Redemption is a different thing. It just doesn't have the raw, naked, muscular appeal of um, of Grand Theft Auto. Well, I've actually seen those horses. <laughs> it does have horses, but there are some people who prefer the curve of a car, um, and um, and that's sold thirty seven. Red Dead Redemption Two, I should say, sold thirty seven million. Uh, copies since since it was which is also a very very large number but like you know um I, I haven't done the maths you know for the amount of time it's been out versus sales you know but i would guess that that isn't sold selling as fast uh hmm. well the thing is gta5 has had the opportunity to be resold on platforms over and over again and yeah. uh, like you could I mean, what if rockstar just released a you know a ps5 and you know xbox one version um, that was just even more powerful and even more amazing. Had ray tracing and stuff. Like they'd probably sell those more as well. Well, they're uh, about to get another round of it because they've also announced that they're working on the second revamp. Ah, there you go. That's another. <laughs> that's that's another fifty million copies. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's got to be online though, right? Like, it's I I still find online to be chaotic in that game. I played it earlier this year, and it's just uh, I don't know how you have like coherent fun on it. Obviously, people yeah. are. Uh, I, I see there's a scene for people who really enjoy racing and really enjoying like buying the latest cars, and the car economy is lovely because they sort of. Uh, it's a game that loves cars, even though it tends to be ridiculing them. But actually, they all have like quite different handling, and it, there are people who really obsess over turning speed and straight line speed. It's almost like a real racing sim. Um, it's not quite at the level of you know a Codemasters game, but it's there's enough there for people to really get their teeth into. Uh, and maybe all kind of like you play the single player campaign, you have fun like smashing around, and then you want to get serious about one particular aspect of it. Maybe, maybe that's what's keeping people playing. And also, like a lot of the stuff's been a lot of the updates for it have been quite quite zany like uh really weird abstract race courses in the sky and stuff like that and mm. it's also uh, the actually the fortnite does very well as well where it's just kind of a platform where you can introduce almost anything to it because people in there aren't looking i don't think looking for a coherent gangster world to believe in <laughs> they're looking for just a playground where they can mess around with their friends and has, happens to be a very high fidelity playground um which looks a lot like la yeah so, yeah summer i can't yes this is basically how you make a popular game now isn't it it's mm. this is the exact same thing as roblox and fortnite it's just create a space where people can hang out with their friends it's that's that's how you make the big bucks yeah, it's, it's what's also super fascinating to me is that so so um Strauss Zelnick just said during the call Strasenic being the um, CEO of Fantech Two, um, somebody asked, um, you know, an investor. He asked, you know, what his opinion of the, the metaverse is, and the metaverse has kind of hit the headlines over the last couple of weeks because it is how um, uh, uh, Epic is trying to sell Fortnite. You know, that it's not mm. a game, that it's a metaverse. That's its term, and 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 uh, he was very much kind of the, of the. Um, like Zonic was very much of the kind of opinion that um like I'm he's skeptical of the metaverse. However, he knows full well what, what GTA is, which is a hangout space. And that's mm. exactly, you know, you can put a stupid name on it like metaverse. But the fact is that yeah, if you make a game where people can hang out and sort of skip freely between totally different ways to play and you know, some super gamey and some completely sort of ambient and and keep stick with your friends and meet other people like you know that's that's the fucking backbone i find it interesting that so over the last month or so warzone call of duty warzone which is the free-to-play version of call of duty which is a battle royale game but it's massive um they've started doing the kind of IP tie-ins that Fortnite have been doing. Like they, they introduced Rambo and mm. John McClane and uh, <laughs> Na- Nakatomi Plaza, the tower from the first Die Hard movie has just appeared in Verdansk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and like, that's like the first time that Warzone's had the, that kind of like map modification and like that kind of level of tie-in thing. But Fortnite's been doing it for a while. And a lot of the time when Tim Sweeney at Epic talks about the metaverse seems to be what he's referring to is just licensed tie-ins in a single <laughs> space. So like Warzone's getting in on that game and Warzone has become so big that basically it's just hoovered up every Activision studio to be working on it. So like Toys for Bob, uh, mm. uh, who, who've 
I can't remember what their most recent project was, but they're now turning they towards... the um the Crash Games, I think. Twice that was pod. it. Yeah. They did the Crash Games. Um, they're now working on Warzone, and the development studio that made the Tony Hawk's remaster, they're now making Warzone. <laughs> um, and like the kind of the big company that doesn't ha- seem to have a game that quite fits the same mode, not quite, is EA. Now, obviously, they've got FIFA, which is Ultimate Team, which is this huge money spinner, and they've got The Sims. But like, they don't have that kind of big first person, third person action game hangout mm. space. No. Um, but they're they've announced over the past week that they're going to show off the new Battlefield next mm-hmm. month, and it's 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 got to compete with this now. Like like it's been like what was the last Battlefield? Not Battlefield One. Was it Battlefield Five? Five. They went straight to five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah from one to five. Well done. Good good naming there, guys. But like, there's been so much change in that genre of game in just the last two or three years that what Battlefield was, it would be piddly and unimpressive if they launched something similar now, I feel like. They've got to compete. And I think EA know it because it's likewise hoovered up a bunch of other studios within EA. So yeah. they've said that... Um, Criterion, for example, which is their like traditionally their racing game studio, um, they do the Need for Speed games, or at least a lot of them. They are working on Battlefield, and yeah. so, so yeah, I'll be racing. Know, <laughs> so it feels like basically there's a kind of these games are reaching a new scale that we haven't sort of seen before, where like. Development studios need to be even bigger than ever in order to satisfy the kind of ravenous content demands that these yeah. games need. It's probably the main thing that's changed, isn't it? Because like this, this idea has been around forever. Like I remember when Deus Ex rebooted, they talked about the Deus Ex universe and it's going to be on mobile and it's going to be you know they hinted at this idea that all the games tied together, it would be a whole kind of uh, universe that you'd buy into. Never emerged because even the first game was you know had to be cut in loads of different ways, and it just seems like you just need a monolithic amount of money to create the platform that can support the rest of marketing that needs to happen uh, and the rest of the time deals like the the thing about Fortnite is that it's turned out to be amazingly flexible like when that travis scott concert they did was amazing like people turned up and watched the sky and a giant travis scott appeared and started doing the concert and then the entire world dissolved around them and they hurtled through space as he went for a track track. it was incredible like i thought it was amazing Uh, and uh, like it's the fact that platforms have can support that type of experience as well as the building and as well as the shooting. Um, I think that's, I actually really like that idea that you know, a space isn't just a shooter space. It's just this malleable thing that can be very driven by the community and actually get communities together to enjoy them. And yeah. maybe uh, there are uh, game designers and um, poor shooter map designers out there who will curse me for liking this because there's, there's a genuine, you know, huge amount of, work goes into creating a great shooter level like dust or something like that 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 really captures everyone's imagination but it feels like that's just going to fall away in the face of creating a platform rather than creating this finely uh designed uh experience the sort of thing that maybe like i know Titanfall 2 still has an audience but that's like it's designed for one particular type of experience and it has a few game modes and the ones that didn't quite support that like p like uh capture the flag could you try again? Oh God, Siri's talking to me. Um, <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Uh, yeah, stuff that didn't quite fit the mech and infantry uh, mesh, like capture the flag. Even though I quite enjoyed that mode, sort of fell away as the community moved away from it. 
I don't know. Cause I, I know um, Green Sorry, Blade Shooters. But... I'm still not sure about that. Oh my god! <laughs> Shut up. Um, you, you've been like you've been. I think you've said before that you've made maps and stuff for multiplayer communities and gotten drawn into that stuff. I wonder how you reflect on this trend. But it's different, isn't it? Because you've got like the competitive, like you've got the growth of two two sort of facets of you know what happens when you connect lots of people together. You've got hangouts fundamentally, you know call it metaverse or just call it just playing with your friends. Um, and then you've got um, competitive scene, which still demands those sort of super focused kind of, you know, um, single level, you know, approach that, that, that led to dust and whatever. Yeah, it's tricky. Like, yeah, I, I spent a load of time for Half-Life 1 making maps using World of Warcraft and then Valve Hammer Editor. And I, like... I also used to play loads of Counter-Strike and oftentimes my favorite maps for that game were the ones that were less popular. And oftentimes I liked them because they were a little bit imbalanced. You got a kind of stranger, more interesting experience for one team feeling like the underdogs say, you know, like Mm. CS Assault where you're pinned down in a warehouse um, with CTs coming into you. And if, if you're the, if you're the, terrorists you can kind of take up an entrenched position and it's really difficult for the counter-terrorists and then breach that's interesting people turned out not to like that as much as this really hyper-balanced experience of dust but then there were always downsides as well because like you know you were you were connecting to a dedicated server rather than using matchmaking and a lot of the time you would connect to a dedicated server and it would the experience would be horrible like mm-hmm. filled with custom sound effects and horrible cheaters or horrible racists or you just couldn't get a game on the map you wanted to play anyway because most of the community had all coalesced around these particular experiences so like having these games now where the map changes a lot you still maybe get a bit of that experimental flavor, you know, as they try new modes and introduce, you know, Nakatomi Plaza in the middle of the map (laughs) for a few weeks and then it disappears again. And so, but everyone is forced to kind of like interact with the new interesting thing rather than just playing Dust 2 over and over and over again. I guess the thing I worry about is more that like Battle Royale and all these game modes came out of that modding scene mm, that mm, these games I now will. don't really support like you yeah. know battle royale fundamentally started off as well i mean you could you could trace it back further but like an armor mod that player unknown made and i don't know i guess armor 3 still exists people can still make mods for it um but I don't know. It's tricky. Like the other thing I'd say is like the reason that Epic and Fortnite win is because they've got this tools pipeline. Like they can modify the world of Fortnite far faster mm. and deploy updates to that game far more seamlessly than Activision can with Warzone. Like Warzone has the vibe of a game that's held together with sticky back plasters <laughs> and yeah, it's. it's <laughs> It's impressive that it works at all, but it rattles as you load it. That's <laughs> how I would describe it. Whereas, you know, Fortnite is, they've done amazing things with, yeah, seamlessly updating the game and having these experiences trigger in real time, like the, the Calvin Scott thing you mentioned, but also like the, what was the one they did, the, the Marvel one, where the big planet-eating guy. Oh, yeah, Thanos just, you could just be Thanos, couldn't you? You've got the gauntlet. 
just charge around. Well, you, you could be you could be Thanos, but who's the who's the the bigger guy? <laughs> the bigger guy that's like large enough that he can eat planets within the Marvel canon. Oh, Galactus. Is it Galactus? Okay, yeah, they did the thing where everyone loaded into their battle buses and then flew into Galactus's mouth. Amazing. <laughs> with, like, Iron Man flying around in front of the bus, talking to you as you were, like, a passenger in this, like, school bus held aloft into space by balloons. And, like, if I was 13 years old, hmm. Uh, hmm. like, oh, would I rather play an imbalanced Counter-Strike map or would I rather have Iron Man talk to me as my bus flies into a giant's mouth? Probably <laughs> yeah. the latter, you know. Okay. You could talk about the things that we've lost, but the things that we've gained are pretty impressive. I'm just, I'm totally fascinated by the, um, by the, by the, so, like, how these worlds kind of narratively sort of justify this stuff. So talking, you know, so, you know, Fortnite was always sort of, ah, oh, who cares? <laughs> um, I'm, I love to know the feelings of the houses who are kind of famously controlling of story and detail and being absolutely consistent and rigid about world building and, uh, and how GTA Online is just sort of like, ah, fuck it. Cars can fly in the, you know, in the sky, you know. And I'm sure, you know, that has paid them dividends, but at the same time, it's got to rankle them, especially when you've got Strauss Zernick in, in you know, an investor call saying that one of GTA's biggest um, appeals is its characters and its worlds. Mm. Um, and like, I think he's completely right, but that relationship between the GTA characters and the, the kind of like the consistency and the kind of fidelity of Los Santos has a very strange relationship with GTA online. Like it is definitely part of its appeal, but what the fuck is going on? Like, why is it appeal and how does it work? But then that, when you were talking about um, Battlefield and the idea of that becoming this kind of game, you know, this is a, this is a series which has prided itself on, on kind of historical, Hmm. uh if if not authenticity at least uh uh respect <laughs> like it's when you got you have to go mad you have to go you have to put mad stuff in your games and yeah. battlefield shouldn't have that like call of duty yeah. broke that that compact a long time ago and you know they must be very pleased with um uh, uh what's the series where it's sort of particularly silly um, black ops the black ops series kind of probably they're probably going oh good old black ops kind of giving us the runway for this bullshit but like what do you how do you do that with battlefield without it feeling just stupid yeah well the, i think um, remember battlefield heroes was it called yeah i did try to do a cartoon oh, yeah. free-to-play version of it and i didn't, did. didn't get an audience um so <laughs> yeah it's not for one of trying i think with that but i know what you mean there's not with what with you know the kind of modern I was about to say Modern Warfare. I think, like, has COD gotten away from that? Because I, I still feel like there's a very much kind of militaristic fancy to COD that has to be there in some way. I don't think you could find Galactus' mouth in Warzone. <laughs> True. I don't know. But now you're, but you can be John McClane, like, on the other, in the other half of the game. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think we as grown-ups are overthinking this. Because, yeah, I think, <laughs> like, as soon as you've got a multiplayer game, with a lot of people playing it, the people bring their own stupidity. Like yeah. authentic authenticity doesn't survive first contact with actual human beings in a multiplayer server, really cr true. crouching on top of each other's faces and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, obviously Call of Duty has traveled a long way from 
one in two <laughs> where it was you know, trying to be very respectful of soldiers and the way that Medal of Honor had been before it. Hmm. Um, Let's call it Pope-based rather than respectful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, but I think Battlefield can make that leap pretty quickly if it decides it wants to. And I don't hmm. think people would think twice about like a single-player mode that was still you know, hand on heart, very serious about the tragedies of war with a multiplayer mode where people were propelling themselves across Wake Island with explosive rockets and, you know, whatever else. Well, of course, yeah, there's those videos, those trick shot videos in in Battlefield (laughs) with kind of getting tanks to the top of skyscrapers in Battlefield 4. Jumping out of your... Jumping out of your plane in midair to fire a rocket at an enemy plane and then landing back inside your plane as it yeah. like, crashes into the ground beneath you. Yeah, it's all the DNA is there actually, isn't it? Yeah. Good <laughs> times. What What other news is there, Alex? Oh, this is a little snippet that I was that amused me greatly. Um, uh, 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 Jeffy, uh, good old Jeffy Keeley, um, has been bigging up uh, his next extra- extravaganza. Um, which is going to be called um, the Summer Games Fest, uh, which will be taking place during E3. Um, he's announced that during his showcase, there's going to be a performance from Weezer um, doing Buddy Holly. I believe he's actually doing Buddy Holly uh, in in homage to the Windows 95 CD-ROM, uh, <laughs> because that was the first, probably the first internet or like a video playing off a CD-ROM that a lot of people kind of experienced. I mean, obviously you're learning games and things, but like I did watch it quite a few times on my um, my install back yeah, then. Yeah, I did. I watched it loads. Uh, I'm just amazed that there was video on yeah. my computer. Hmm. And I'm just delighted that... that the old Keelsey, um would think to, to get Pweezer on simply for that. Is that actually how he pitched it? <laughs> I don't, honestly, I don't know. I don't actually know. I haven't dug any deeper in it. I don't. I want to preserve the idea that he um, <laughs> wants to celebrate the PC platform by by doing a deep cut on um, <laughs> on, on Windows ninety five. I'm I'm into that, and I'll just buy into it, whatever the truth is. I think that uh, I think that might be the way that we framed it on RPS more than the way that Jeff Keighley framed it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm fully on board. If they could, like, the other thing that I used to listen to a lot on my Windows 95 PC was the 30 seconds of Pump It Up by Elvis Costello that came with Encarta, the kind of like CD oh, yeah. encyclopedia before Wikipedia. It was like a page for Elvis Costello and you could listen to like 30 seconds of it. That was, that was music coming from my computer that didn't sound like bleep bloops and coming from like the Amiga. Uh, that was That was a big deal. I was into the Canyon mid file that came with um, Windows 3.1. That, now that is a is a sort of a monument of um, early 1990s culture. I feel. <laughs> I love the idea of uh, a brainstorming meeting where Jeff Keighley looks down at Zune and says, "Bring me Weezer." <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I also really want to know what uh, the, the band members of Weezer thought when they initially <laughs> did this, and what they think now about this. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, it's such a kind of weird very niche nostalgic thing to do honestly though i mean it might be the most kind of transformative thing they did for overall culture 
Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I like Buddy Holly the song, that, but the fact that I watched yeah. it as a video on a you know in Windows, that's like you know that's history making. I suppose it is. It's a good music video as well. It's fucking know? great music video. <laughs> I used to watch Happy Days on repeats on Channel Four. <laughs> that is all the news I've got. I enjoyed that news. <laughs> it's good news. <laughs> what have you been playing, Alex? Um, I've been playing a couple of games that are connected in a kind of a weird way in my brain, if nobody else is. Um, I finished, uh, finally, finally finished Control uh, last weekend. Um, the uh, the game about going into a trans trans-dimensional office building and uh, picking stuff up and smashing it up. The game about, with the greatest respect for concrete of any game of all time, <laughs> and therefore I fucking love just that about it. Like, mm. there is no game that renders with such affection so many different ways that um, concrete can be used to define uh, um, uh, architectural volumes. Like, it's got formwork, it's got... It's got all the shits. It's got lovely things and, um, you can smash it up as well. Um, and like, uh, I just, I immediately liked it for that. Um, and I kind of struggled with it a little bit at the start. And we talked about it ages ago when it came out on the pod. I know that Marsh was, was a little bit kind of annoyed with the kind of some of the sort of game extending, um, aspects of it where, you've got these missions that kind of pop up all the time telling you to go somewhere and you lose your progress if you die. You know, it's a kind of hmm. Dark Souls-y sort of kind of system where you kind of lose progress if you don't, you know, since the last time you saved at a place. Um, uh, and, you know, play, enemies get restocked in areas as soon as you leave them. I kind of slightly irritated by that about that as well. But once I started getting powered up, I really started really enjoying it because it's one of those kind of um, has that great sort of Metroidvania feel where you go into an area um, for the first time and you feel a little nervous because you don't know what's going to hit you and you're kind of a little bit underpowered and, you know, it's a struggle or a challenge. Um, But then you go back through it um, with your bigger powers and, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it, the way that you can fly in the game is just great. The way that you can shoot stuff and your ammo count can just restocks itself is just makes, it just feels good. You know, I, I'm a tend, I tend to um, not fire sniper rounds in games because I want to stave up my sniper rounds. But in this one, your sniper rounds will recharge in the matter of a couple of seconds. So I use the the, the kind of the sniper gun a lot and I use all the other guns a lot. Um, and, you know, then you can also use your kind of magical transdimensional powers to throw shit around and they generate, regenerate really quickly as well. And, and the flying doesn't even use your, your uh, magical powers that you can just fly again immediately after landing once you've sort of gracefully fell forms the ground again i think this feels really generous in that way and i really love the feel of it um but um what i've also loved about the game is um it looks gorgeous like it's such a beautiful game um and that's down to its lighting engine and just the groundedness of everything in the game like it the concrete just looks beautifully concretey in shade and in light and 
it's dynamic and your character picks up colors from, you know, reflected, reflected colors from around the environments. And it just, I just, I do love that take on realism. Like I've, you know, I, I, I'm not that excited about realism in general in games, but I like it when realistic things are used in an artful way in games. And this one, you know, in, 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 uh, in control, uh, a realistic principle of light is used in such an artful way. And, um, and that has really pulled me through as well. Um, each area and the fact that these areas are so bizarre and full of surprising, uh, contortions of 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 um brutalist space and concrete and with these kind of weird sort of kaleidoscopic sort of tunnels and things that appear in front of you and washes of red light and then white light it's just yeah it's such a gorgeous game to me i just yeah um so i I wanted to sort of put a bookmark in that um game now i've played it um on the pod but i happen to also play um, one of the uh, IGF Nuovo finalists, um, which or the, one of the finalists for the Nuovo Award for the IGF this year, and it's called uh, Cristal Cristal Gin or Cristal Yin, um, which is by a developer called or like a an artist game maker called Gail or Gail uh, Boris, a French developer, um, and this game. Is it's fifteen minutes long. Uh, it costs like four quid, and I recommend. I'm not going to say too much. I'm going to not say too much about what happens in the game. Um, I don't think it's really that important what happens in the game. <laughs> like, is it? That's cool. It's an experience. Well, it's an experience. But what I would say is that it's fucking really worth. Unless you've, <laughs> it's really really worth playing it, and it's cheap, and it's fifteen minutes long. Unless you have any kind of epilepsy. <laughs> Uh, um, um, because you really shouldn't play on that, on that front because it's a game about being in a club with strobe lights <laughs> and it's fucking cool, but it was frequently very uncomfortable <laughs> to experience because mm. it's using this um, rhythmic flashing lights, which are like explicitly in the game world. They are coming from lights. They are, you know, you are in a club space um, and the music is usually quite sort of muffled or isn't there at all but what you do here is the click of the strobe lights and the and the 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 combination of the click the audio visual effect of the click and the and the flashing of light causes rhythmic i don't know the experience of those rhythmic patterns is really interesting and they're accompanied by the fact that as you walk through these spaces um you a kind of following a dancer, um, a woman sort of dressed in a kind of leotard, I guess, who will be picked out by the strobe light. And then as it's in the space, as your view is flooded into darkness for, you know, quarter of a second, disappears and then reappears again. And, and often she'll be in a new pose or the fact that she's constantly animated means you see a different segment of her overall animation or she might be turning a different way. She might appear in a different location. Like basically the through each area, um, it plays with different ways that flashing lights can affect your perception of a space and of movement and of uh, proximity to other people. 
it's, it's, I found it really quite astounding, actually. Um, it's sort of, you know, it is a uh, hand-on-its-heart sort of art game. And I think that it might be going for something profound. I don't know whether I know what, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I found the experience profound on its own merits. I, this is what I'm trying to say, really. I don't know what it was trying to say. And I'm, you know, uh, I almost don't really want to read too much about it because my individual experience of just the just the experience of of motion through light uh, and darkness, just really stunning. And I really recommend anyone that isn't going to... Um, suffer any ill effects through uh flashing lights um to experience it too because um yeah and uh you know it's it the, the fact also that the the link also with with control is it has that same artful use of realism you know this is the the you know the developers absolutely focused on um on on uh animation and of uh light and you know that and the fact that it's dynamic and the fact that it has this sort of uh, weight to it. So you can sort of, you can, it really defines the kind of the spaces you're in, uh, the colors, like it, everything is beautifully color with the light. Yeah. It's a really fucking great piece of work, I reckon. And um, yeah, it was really nice to play that directly after playing um, control and seeing two very, very, very different games um, have the same kind of really mature attitude to like what you can do with realistic graphics well sounds like a someone did an art you, <laughs> i did a did a real art <laughs> that sounds great what's it called again it's called yeah crystal yin so that's well it'll be in the show notes but it begins with k, k so k-r-i-s-t-a-l-l-i-j-n um cool. yeah like yeah yeah it's real good real good and it's totally deserving of being the nova award and um, maybe it can beat baseball. I was going to say, how is the concrete in Crystal? It's good, but, you know, sort of being made by a solid developer, they haven't put quite as much effort into modelling so many different forms of... Uh, of uh, there's no formwork, is what I'm saying. What What is formwork? <laughs> I, I could I could pretend for the podcast that I, I know, but I'm not, I'm not an expert on concrete. What is formwork? <laughs> Uh, formwork is when, well, formwork is specifically, um, the, the way that, uh, you build a concrete mold out of wood, um, uh, the way where you want the concrete to, to, to exist. So you build this sort of wooden structure, which will be the mold for that concrete, pour the, pour the mold, uh, the, the concrete in, and then you take down the wood, uh, that, that form the mold and, um, and form work. You can also, but I'm using that term in because some architects enjoy the fact that it will leave behind the um uh, the grain of the wood um so there's some really nice examples on the south bank in london of that so you get these beautiful textures so you get these sort of uh um you can see the planks basically in um mm. in relief and um it's just gorgeous like sort of oh, it's just a lovely conjunction of sort of cold concrete and warm kind of organic mm. sort of wood and it's it's my jam be waiting to uh, replay control i got about two thirds of the way through it and then i decided to get a new pc and i'm still waiting for that but when i get it i'll be able to do the fancy reflective ray tracing and all that oh, yeah. i think that's a game that warrants it and it's, it's the first thing i'll install just precisely because it's 
got that unique art direction i really enjoyed yeah yeah i think um i didn't i don't my 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 computer isn't up to um, ray tracing and i'm really you know it does it runs well enough on my older pc that you know like the the, the floors are shiny like oh it does a really good glossy floor oh <laughs> you know steps, yeah. Yeah, marble surfaces and like uh, glossy. You can just imagine the amount of polishing that that the Janices have to do. Oh, it's so good! It's got that sort of um, Kubricky sort of sort of office building sort of sixties. Oh, it's lovely. <laughs> what you been playing, Graham? I've been playing War Pips, um, which is sadly not a game by Pip War. Is it? Does it have Pip War f- fighting people in it? Does it <laughs> have multiple got, Pip Wars? It's got lots of Pips. Um, it's a game about Pips at war. Uh, so War Pips is it's a tug of war strategy game. Have you ever played one of those? Mm. Have you ever? If you've ever heard of one of those, because I hadn't before this, and I think I do. I think I do. Um, yeah, I've played a few. Um, uh, sort of um uh warcraft 3 tug of war ones where yeah it's sort of some it's kind of moberish is that am i thinking am i up the right yeah right like you you don't have direct control over your units and so uh, and you do have like a, a base which you need to defend and an enemy base that you need to attack and so it has that kind of like push and pull of your creeps marching across the mobile map say um but the developers of this say that it's like inspired by uh, a bunch of Newgrounds flash games, mm-hmm. like like Stickmen uh, tug of war strategy games, stuff like that. But this is not Stickmen, and this is made by three developers who all worked on Subnautica Below Zero, which oh, just wow. came out. Um, it's the Subnautica expansion. It basically seems like. I think that's mostly a remote team that make that. And it seems like it's three people, like a programmer and and two artists or something like that, that decided to do their own thing, I guess, in their downtime. And it it came out just a few weeks ago. Uh, And so it's really colorful and really stylish mixture of simple uh, 3D and 2D graphics and really flashy, poppy explosions. Uh, and it's really clever. I'm having a lot of time, a lot of fun with it. Um, so the way it works is, you've got uh, a kind of over map of a territory, which is your island. You've got a base in one of those territories. The enemy base is in another territory, and you've got to capture the territories in between to make your way towards the enemy base. And then each territory is this little battle, which takes place on a kind of linear map viewed from the side where your base is on the left the enemy base is on the right and you you like i say you're not controlling your little pips directly you're not telling them you know shoot here move there take cover here all you're doing really is choosing when to spawn them um when they should push forward when to upgrade them and uh, which units you take with you for any particular fight uh but within that, it manages to create a lot of the the kind of like 
macro tactical thinking that you would mm-hmm. get in your typical kind of RTS, especially stuff like Command and Conquer. Like it's not it's not got the micro, um, but it's got the macro decision making. Because like mm-hmm. in between missions, you're choosing a loadout. So that's like what units are you going to take with you? So you're going to take your 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 generic guy with a machine gun. You're going to take a, a a guy that can fire grenades. You're going to take uh, maybe a turret that you can manually control that sits on top of your base that you can like aim and fire yourself. And maybe you'll take like some barbed wire that you can drop somewhere on the battlefield, which provides some cover for your units. You start, start the level and there's a bar that runs across the screen, which tells you essentially the rhythm of the enemy attack patterns. So like at the beginning of the bar will be green and that means it'll be relatively calm. And then it'll get a bit redder. And that means that more enemies are going to start come, be spawning and coming towards you at that point. Then mm. there will be like an, an area of the bar, which is like yellow and black warning stripes. And that's where there's going to be like a big attack wave. And so you might make a decision to say at the beginning of a round, I'm not going to build any units because no point. I could build some units. Uh, you can, you've got like uh, resource limits, like money that you're earning over time uh, and every unit that you deploy costs some money and you've got to begin with a cap of you can only create three of your little pips the little soldiers Um, but you're not going to create any at the beginning because if you do all that's going to happen is they're going to go out there they're going to kill some people but there's not that many people for them to kill so eventually they'll just get picked off they won't have earned much XP, so you won't be able to uh, use the kind of XP resource that you earn in order to upgrade units or to expand your unit size, or you can trade those those points for boosts of money as well. And so you just you just do nothing. Maybe you take some pop shots from your turrets because those free, and then you wait until you get to that like uh, emergency band of yellow and black stripes by which point the money that you haven't spent has gradually ticked up so uh, so that you can and maybe you've earned like a little bit of xp from just taking turret pot shots so you can expand your unit at that point from like three pips up to four or five spawn mm-hmm. all of them all at once and then there's a bunch of soldiers coming towards you that they can then mow, mow down that gets you uh, a bunch of xp which you can then use to upgrade your units or to increase the number of them or to convert it to more money so you can resupply. And it becomes about that kind of like pacing decisions of when do you push? When do you hold back? When do you say, no, I'm going to just like survive this wave. And then when it comes down afterwards, I'm going to push. Or are you going to try and push and win the battle before that big wave comes and there is always like an ultimate time pressure because if the battle goes on too long then your enemy is going to drop uh, a bomb on your base basically a plane flies overhead and just blows you up so you do need to like be kind of charting and again that's quite mobile-ish you're like charting a kind of economic power curve over the course of a of a battle and deciding when you're going to make your push and then that kind of decision making is mirrored on the the overall map of the island as well because the longer it takes you to capture the full island and, and all the territories on it the more powerful the enemy base will be when you do the final battle on that island so you're making a decision there of like do you capture each individual territory and get uh, like un- you get un- unlock new units by doing that? And units are a, like a de- 
uh, diminishing resource. Like once you've used them in a battle, they're gone. And so you either need to buy new units in between rounds or you need to have unlocked them by winning territories. Mm. Or do you rush towards the enemy and try and capture the islands before they get too powerful? And once you've captured the entire island, you move on to the next island and it gets harder. And it's, uh, I, I find that like the, the, the balance of all these different systems, as simple as they are, like there's a tutorial in this, but you don't really need to play it. Like I didn't at first. I just dove in and I won the first three or four battles that I played and worked out how to play it that way and then went back into the tutorial, which clarified some stuff, some things for me, but it's simple enough. But it's got enough going on that it's all very well thought through. Like all these systems interlock in really satisfying ways that I'm, you know, uh, I feel like I'm making interesting decisions to shape the outcome of a battle. And then I'm excited about the things that I'm unlocking by winning that battle. And I feel like I'm making interesting decisions in between those battles as well, which is all really great. And then it just looks lovely as well. Like the way things explode, the way units, the way the little pips crumple when they get shot, the way towers and buildings crumple, um, Every part of it looks really nice, which is what originally drew to me. Like I just stumbled across across it on Steam. That sounds awesome. awesome. Yeah, it sounds really good. It, it's sort of um, well, you describe it, Graham. Sort of sounds a little bit like um, old tower defense games as well. In that, often they would show you waves of different types of enemies coming at different points, and and likewise, there are lots of spending decisions to be made on on that basis. But that with like in a more of a real time setting with lots of nice visual representation of what's going on sounds right up my alley. Actually, that sounds great. The game it reminds me of most is, oh, I might be misremembering its name, but Alex, I think you could correct me. Is it Infested Planet? Oh, yeah. Oh, I think yeah. That's the, that is what it's called, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. which is like a, it's sort of Starship Trippers in that you're on a kind of top-down view of a map and you're pushing out with a small unit of soldiers, placing down turrets in order to control areas as you push towards these these points that are spawning enemy waves um but it's like you have to kind of control territory and decide when are you going to push forward when are you going to like try and dig in and into an entrenched position and hold mm. until your your units resupply or whatever else that sort of stuff with infested planet in part because it is top down and so you've got more control over like where do your soldiers go there's a little bit more micro and stuff involved there i found that game quite tricky like it's a tough game and it gets harder as it goes on quite quickly because war pips uh, as of as much as i played of it has been it's starting to get hard now but it's been a much gentler onboarding um but it also just it does simplify some of the decision making by removing more of the micro without losing any of the most interesting decisions i feel like yeah it reminds me a little bit of um, uh, Swords and Short Soldiers as well, the Ronimo game. They went on to make awesome noughts, but did you ever play Swords and Soldiers? No, I never played that one. So it was a, um, I think it came out initially for Wii U or something, but essentially um, uh, you're playing, you're at one end of uh, a flat plane, like a 2D kind of long, thin, long sort of um, level the enemies the other side um and you choose when you um uh, send a unit out from your base and they'll just walk across along this along this this um uh level and then when they encounter the enemy uh they will fight 
So you're thinking about when you send out your um, your um, troops. Um, you've also got like resource gatherers as well, who you've got to make sure that they don't get killed by enemies. Um, and you can also use magic powers to have influence over or like pip, put, you know, put the, just the turn the little advantage in your favor, you know, during a ruck. Um, and like there are different sort of factions and things, but yeah, that was a like a similar kind of thing where you're upgrading as you go along and you're sort of, it's all about timing and, but like, yeah, you're not microing, you're macroing. Like, I mean, that's, that sounds very similar <laughs> to what you're doing in war pips, but I, I love the, yeah, it's the pace of it and you're controlling the pace. Mm. That's the thing the where you're making the decisions, but it creates these wonderful moments where you're, you know, you're just hanging on. Like you, maybe your, your own base is taking some damage. You've got all these soldiers right outside. Your guys are getting mowed down. Um, but your, your last man standing just, just defeats the last guy attacking you so that you survive that wave and then you know because you've got this bar running across telling you the kind of the rhythm of the enemy attacks you know that you've just survived and that it will be easier for the next you know 60 seconds or whatever it is and in that time if you've like planned well and paced yourself with like your resource spending you have this moment of ah now the tide has suddenly turned i can you know i've I, the decisions i've making made up to this point have got me to the point where i've now i'm now able to create eight pips at once rather than just three i've got the money in order to be able to do it and if maybe i've upgraded them twice so they're all going to be max level and i can just go from this moment where I was inches away from death to just creating this huge army that then steamrolls across the map and wins the entire thing. And like, that was always the plan. Like you, you perfectly kind of balanced your resource spending and that sort of stuff to create both the satisfaction of the, the overwhelming numbers you get. If you like turtle up, say in a, in a, a kind of command and conquer style RTS and then go swarm the enemy. Plus, you know, after this dramatic, last ditch defense yes like yeah i love that idea as well yeah this isn't it like isn't it amazing how many game types have come out of the rts you know especially sort of game types that have either who either entirely trade on or or have an aspect of kind of autoplay to them you know the kind of like the creep the creep play it's obviously like mm. mobas and then there's auto chess as well there are these um, tug of war games, which I, I am, I was aware that they they exist. And I kind of, I looked into them. I was going to do something on them a few, like, I don't know, a year ago or something and started looking them up, but I wasn't sure whether they all seem to be like, um, do you know what? I even pitched it. I even pitched it as an idea, but I couldn't, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure how alive the genre was because it was clear that a lot of the games had been made you know, they were made in Warcraft 3, the ones I was looking at. And mm. there were a few kind of standout examples still, but, you know, seeing, getting a real sense of whether how much they're played still, I didn't. But it was, you know, I came across and thought, wow, that's really interesting. Um, and like, I, I remember what the pitch was now. The pitch was to talk to a couple of the developers about what it feels like to be a mod maker, like, a, a you know, in, you've you've invested as a mod maker um in a genre an up-and-coming one 
And surely there's a bit of you that's thinking about this could be the next MOBA. This could be the new hmm. auto chess. We could be, um, you know, we could be, uh, 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 like the makers of League of Legends. You know, we could be the equivalent of Riot if this pulls off. We've just got to get through this and get the fans. Like, what's it like being on the cusp of that with a cool game that obviously, you know, and like are you, like, are they in competition with other people making? Like, what happens when the collaborator then goes off and makes, you know, with with the game that you've made together, but then their take on it, like in the same way that so many Dota games kind of, you know, in that wild west of Dota, you know, and I, yeah, I thought it was a cool idea. And, um, and I, yeah, I pitched it (laughs) and it never happened. (laughs) (laughs) I want to do it now. Yeah. You just pitched it again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Second life. (laughs) Just send this recording to people. (laughs) I can just pose the question and get someone else to write it. (laughs) But yeah, like it totally fascinates me that sort of, you know, it's the genre that never, and presumably the, you know, this team, this this sort of Subnautica team presumably played it like on, you know, as you said, on new grounds and things like, oh, we can do it. We can do it. Did you get a sense of how popular it is so far? Um, uh, no <laughs> podcast voice. Um, I mean, I I think I saw it because it was on the homepage of Steam. Like I, I looked at new and trending or whatever, and it was it was you know in the, those ten games on the homepage that were listed. Uh, and I think it's got a decent number of Steam reviews so far. But no, I I don't have a sense of how many people are playing it. Mm. And it's you know it's a fully single player game. So like most of these other strategy twists that really take off they tend to be multiplayer well that's i think i believe that that a lot of the warcraft 3 mods are there they are fully multiplayer that's that's their thing yeah but i mean like the subnautica team i don't know if these people specifically were involved back then but before they made subnautica they made natural selection that's natural selection too which were both half like a half-life mod and in ns2 was like a standalone version of it um so they have that background of coming out from a community, but then the mod that they made, Natural Selection, was never that popular. Like it was, it was dwarfed by the juggernaut of Counter Strike, essentially, as most interesting mods back then were, to be honest. But yeah, Warpips, it's dead good, and it's called Warpips, yeah. which is just fun <laughs> to, say. to say. Yeah. <laughs> <that's great. laughs> Shall we do questions from questions? Hi, hi, Captain. Let's. Uh, just one this night uh, from Chris Noon, uh, or it could be Noony. I think it's probably Noon. Chris Noon, um, uh, who writes uh, in episode 367, you spoke about Cyberpunk 2077, and Chris mentioned that much of its world is essentially theatre put on the put on for the benefit of the player, rather than the simulation in which they can participate. My favourite example, there's a story mission in which the player in the back of a van is pursued by three cars of uh, bad guys and told to neutralise them. Since I was playing as a hacker, I melted all my pursuers' brains. I needed to discover that their driverless cars were happy to keep following me until my van reached a checkpoint and then they exploded for no discernible reason. (laughs) This kind of moment when you realise that a game is not simulating the world at the fidelity that you previously believed it was, feel very dissonant. Could this, is this, 
the dreaded ludonarrative dissonance? If not, what is it? Keep the boss aloft. Keep, yeah, keep the pods aloft. Scrimbus. I mean, it's not ludonarrative dissonance because that's a discrepancy between story and uh, game mechanics yeah. and where they disconnect, whereas this just seems like a more common occurrence of the limitations of simulations in games. And I think, uh, you know, Cyberpunk is has it all over, mm-hmm. and I don't mind it so much in those kind of scripted story missions because I don't expect them to be simulated. Like, you can kind of tell when a game has slipped into a cinematic mode and more, most of these games, Grand Theft Auto included, they do that. My problem in Cyberpunk is the open world areas where, uh, you know, you, you place an object in the middle of a road and the car stops in front of it and then a car stops behind that car and a car <laughs> stops behind that car and that's it. They just all back up forever because there's no simulation to tell them how to pathfind around an object in their way. Do you know that You know or that you... lay-by by, um, by the entrance to your um, to your your apartment you know you yep. go down on the street and like right from the very moment that it got um it was released people started posting those videos of the cars just grinding into this sort of bollard um and that there was a big patch that came out in which that wasn't fixed but is it fixed now i haven't checked if it's fixed now but i did encounter that in the game <laughs> you can also just like park your car across a pavement and pedestrians will just come up and stop next to your car and that's it like they'll just keep piling up until there's like 15 of them standing next to your car because they don't know how to get around you and there's no dialogue of them complaining or anything like that i mean there was all kinds of bugs in that game as well obviously of pedestrians getting stuck on stairs just going up and down the same set of stairs forever stairway to nowhere um but more broadly i i I, I wonder, like, do you guys care in a game, like, how simulated something is? Because I always think about this in regards to, say, something like Far Cry 2, where the kind of story set up at the beginning of that game is you're there to find the jackal, this arms dealer, and it's a big open world environment that you can seemingly go around freely. And I love the idea that the jackal is just existing in that world simultaneously. And perhaps I could stumble upon him. Hmm. But of course, the game doesn't work that way. It's not st- simulated on that level. The Jackal is a, a scripted character you're going to meet when you advance the story to that point. And that's far less interesting to me. Yeah. Where there, whereas there's an, an, an indie game called Westerado, which is a kind of like cowboy mystery where you're trying to avenge your family by finding the person that kill, killed them. And that character is randomized and somewhere in the world Mm. at all times and as you're going around the world you might just stumble across them Um, but what you're doing is you're doing odd jobs for people and they give you a piece of information about what this character looks like so they might say oh he's wearing a big hat oh he's wearing red trousers and little by bit little you kind of like fix an image of what this person looks like so that you can more easily find them but you can also likewise just accuse every person you meet of being the person you're looking for, draw your gun and then shoot them. <laughs> and eventually you'll find the person because they do exist in this world. <laughs> and I, I like it. There is at that point, the simulation of that as an actual place enhances my experience. Yeah. 
So, like, do you do you guys care? Ideally, wanted to believe mm-hmm. that for in in um, Far Cry Two, but I kind of, you know, I kind of uh, uh, reluctantly accepted that, that the character doesn't exist in the world, you know, as I played it. Yeah, I think I came to Far Cry Two expecting it to be quite story driven, even though it was famous for its sandbox moments. And it kind of the way it sets itself up with having these two different sort of warring factions, and they have their own bases and stuff. Um, I kind of knew that the Japanese wasn't out there, but I think if I, I think one of the biggest controversies around this was actually remember EA's SimCity when mm. uh, they said that you know every bit of kind of uh, product that was produced at a factory would be carried by uh, along the roads and then deposited at a place, and you know that was all simulated. And then when it came out, it turned out it didn't quite work that way. And it also had problems with traffic where, you know, traffic would build up because it it was granular on one level, but not on the level that was described to the audience or the way the, the audience interpreted that. And because it was like an explicit simulation and an explicitly a sandbox game that rankled people far, far more than something like, I think, Far Cry 2 did. Uh, and Far Cry 2 is still celebrated for its kind of physics-y fire, dynamic fire effects. And a lot of the kind of chaos that can come from just uh, any given encounter in that game. So there is a degree of dynamism to uh, the, the interactions in Far Cry that's separate from the story. So it sort of delivers, and it's sort of over-delivered for the time on what an open-world FPS could be like, uh, while still having to have a story in it. And I think like most games are like that at that level, like uh, with that kind of team behind them, or what you might call like a big budget or AAA game probably players expect a story so they have to sort of and especially if explicitly the whole point of you being in the universe is to find the jackal then that has to be in the story it's almost by necessity so i never had that expectation but i think like sim city i understood it was like almost a communication problem trying to communicate very difficult like complicated systems to a wide audience probably shouldn't even get into that fight <laughs> like um you can talk about the bits of simulation that are really exciting and why it's exciting to interact with them but making a really bold claim that you can't quite stand up or that is easily misinterpreted probably yeah it's probably a marketing problem there yeah. uh speaking personally uh it's actually the moment i realized that computer opponents in rts games weren't going through the same building and production processes that i was uh in that the computer will get extra money uh, extra resource uh, get extra produ- faster production times um and the realization that they weren't sort of like building a base and churning through uh the production queues and being you know really efficient and go through all the kind of all the kind of grit that i was going through uh was somehow weirdly disappointing to me it's like oh, i thought i was fighting a war machine that was kind of doing the same thing i was but at the same time why wouldn't they just spawn more units off screen where you can never see them it was like it might be you know for technical reasons save you a lot of processing um bandwidth uh or it might just be just easier to it just less chaos happens when you do that maybe it's, it's worse if you tell the ai to behave exactly as a human player should um so yeah I, I, increasingly rts games built that into their difficulty systems where uh it explicitly say oh the ai no longer has 1000 <laughs> percent quicker build speed than you if you're on like super easy uh and that so they've kind of that's been made explicit so i feel less cheated but it did definitely puncture the fantasy a bit for me yeah yeah it's just about um you know if it sells you something it's got to kind of you know live up to the sell really it's sort of you know because mm-hmm. i mean like every single game every you know simulation no game is able to simulate a world in, at the at the at the 
expansiveness that actually lives up to anybody normal's ex- expectations of what that should be. It's that a really roundabout way of saying, isn't it? But you know, <laughs> when when someone says this world is simulated to you, you kind of expect that, like the ideal of that to be everything at once. But we all know, like you know, most people know that that's impossible. But actually. Computers, you know, and games are unable to do that in anything like the extent extent that that even even our kind of curtailed kind of expectations can do. I remember going back to um, to uh, to Far Cry Two. Um, I remember asking. I think I said this on the pod before, but I remember asking. I went to the, uh, Cliff Hawking at a, a preview event in Montreal. Um, uh, you know, going up to a kind of an enemy. Uh, kind of um, encampment you know if I run from here how long will they chase after me for like how like Mm. just trying to get at the idea of kind of if they exist in the world like how long will they you know uh, their instances kind of be aware of me and remember me and follow me and you know if I get into a ruck like am I gonna how long am I gonna have to deal with that for and i was kind of excited the idea that you know that i'd be having to deal for a while and now you get these rolling battles going across the the jungle and you know kind of this great big simulated kind of thing going on but of course that would make for a shit game (laughs) a terrible game Mm. that would never run on an xbox 360 for a start and it wouldn't be fun today because you'd have no control and there'd be no authorial kind of ability to kind of modulate or pace the game at all you know because as a designer you can never be sure what the hell's going a player's going to be getting into and that's the constant problem with any kind of simulated game that as soon as you offer any um uncertainty over how things will play out uh you kind of you have to trust in systems which kind of might go haywire you know and hmm. clint talking kind of his his most recent game, Watch Dogs Legions, really walked the line with this stuff as well. Like when they were talking before release about how, oh, you know, if you if you injure someone on the street, then their family will dislike dead sec. But then if you go to the hospital and like help pay their insurance bills, then they'll like you more. And like it's simulating this person. Like they so go to an office. <laughs> They go to a home and they they have an office space and they'll have a routine. They'll go to a particular place in the city at the same time every day, and uh, and it's all reactive and and all this sort of stuff. And there was they were, I think they did quite a good job. I think of being quite specific in the claims that they made. But did it mean anything for way, the game? Well, probably not really. <laughs> is the reality? Mm. But it's the kind of stuff that's. Like what they said was true, <laughs> and it sounds really exciting. Like your brain, wow! It's simulating it such a such a granular detail I've not seen in this kind of game before. And then most people can't quite because they're not game designers take that next step and kind of extrapolate. Well, what does that actually mean for what I am doing in the game? Like, why is that extra fun? Like that early, the, you know, the one of the kind of emblematic, like those the the pioneers of this stuff would be like Ultima Seven. Which you know, big, great, big open world, and all the characters that you meet have you know their little routines, and you know by by day, you find them doing things that, that you'd expect them to do at different times of the day, and but that means something for a world like that because one, Ultima Seven's world isn't as 
big as a modern modern open world. Um, there doesn't have very many characters, and most of the characters have something to offer the quest lines, and they'll say something important to you, or they'll their houses contain something that's worth stealing, or you know, or whatever. Like there's there's meaningfulness to it. But if you're in a, you know recreation of London, what the hell does it matter that a pedestrian that you that 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 doesn't have anything to do with the driving and shooting that that represents the the core of that game. What does it matter that they're doing anything that sort of that's internally consistent? Yep. <laughs> Remember the <laughs> when the uh, the Elder Scrolls games claims to claim that um, a lot of the NPCs would have their own sort of routines and they sort of do, sort of like there are shops that shut and shut at certain times, but they almost like claim that you could just like follow them around the universe and they'd behave naturally which wasn't quite true you could follow them around they just didn't do anything yeah like oh god i really wished i hadn't followed them around yeah <laughs> turns out they did nothing they escalate they escalate those claims as well because oblivion it was all, all all of the npcs have routines according to the time of day and then skyrim it was radiant ai oh, that's, that's yeah. right. so it was yeah. like oh if, if an npc gets killed in the woods then it will generate a quest that another npc will go on to like find them because that was their friend or whatever and, and there'll be like a, an economy and so if that person was the town's woodcutter then the price of wood will go up because now it's short supply because the woodcutter got killed and i mean i think there are like a, a very thin version of those systems in there but you don't notice or encounter yeah, it's like, yeah well, it doesn't if, matter if, <laughs> if, if he, an npc accepts an adventure in the forest and there's no one there to see it yeah, exactly <laughs> who the fuck cares it was like i had this I had one of my the most kind of the, the kind of most fun for me um interviews i did was with a ai designer on on the halo about like good what what constitutes good ai design and like and i you know i, I naively went in with the expectation you know that they are smart that they'll use cover and and he's like no 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 the best ai design is communicating to you it's telling you about what it wants to do mm. and mm. it's not it's not about saying doing anything smart or anything it's about ensuring that you have a sense that it's making sensible decisions and and that you know what it's trying to do so you can make counter you know you can counter it or you know just it just needs to occupy your brain um, and like it doesn't, it doesn't actually matter how um, uh, uh, sophisticated it is. The sophistication simply lies in how well it communicates to you. That's absolutely true, and I think it's also you know it comes back to what we were saying earlier about Battlefield that none of these systems survive first contact with players because like a game which has really deep simulated systems is Dwarf Fortress. Hmm. You know, your dwarves, they're just little ASCII sprites, but their fingernails will grow and they can spit and they form relationships and they will mourn the loss of those relationships and those sorts of things. But players, when they encounter those systems, just work out how to min-max them. And so talk to experienced War Fortress players, they're like, well, we have to create a system within our fortress for catching and killing every cat that appears. Because <laughs> for two reasons. One is that if you don't, they'll breed, and eventually that will slow down the game because simulating them <laughs> is like a huge CPU cost. But also, your dwarfs will get attached to them 
one of them will die that a dwarf likes and the dwarf will go nuts <laughs> and kill a bunch of your other dwarves. And so like prevent the dwarf from being able to like engage in that system by just killing the cats before they can make friends. So what you're and, saying is that yeah. the cats are really very important to the to like because <laughs> because they provide this kind of fucking brilliant story about why Dwarf Fortress is so cool. <laughs> Well, they do the kind of first time until every player just yeah, learns right. the process, essentially, <laughs> and then it becomes meaningless. Yeah, yeah fair and This is always the problem with these things. But, like, I do, I mean, like, the first time video games ever broke my heart was uh, <laughs> Black and White. And, and oh, no, yeah. was that, like, 99, 2000 or something like that, where before release they ran these developer diaries I feel like they were published on GameSpy.com or something like that, uh, which was the development team talking about the simulation of the giant creatures in that game and how you could train them to like uh, perform behaviors you liked by petting them and stop behaviors that you didn't like by smacking them, which seemed fine at the time, but in retrospect, <laughs> no, but strange. Yeah. Yeah, cruel, and cruel years. It just sounded amazing. And a lot of what they were talking about back then, though, was the bugs. You know, this was a developer diary, and they would talk about how, oh, they had a bug where their giant monkey picked up a pig to eat it just at the moment when the pig was taking a bite of some of its food. And so the pig swallowed the giant monkey. <laughs> uh, and, like... That blew my mind when I was like 14 reading that on GameSpy.com. And although it was a bug, I didn't care. It was just like, oh my God, it's simulating it at the point where like they're, they're actually chewing. <laughs> <laughs> like just the, dynami the dynamism of like the pig can has like consistent rules. And so of course, if it munches at that point, and yeah, they'll have to, they'll have to solve that before the game comes out. But wow, that must speak to the to the commitment <laughs> with which this game is simulating its part. Of course it was all bullshit. And <laughs> I, I think Black and White is actually like, I quite liked it for what it was. I think yeah. it's a pretty good game. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that they necessarily did make claims that they didn't live up to. But they kind of like created enough of, of a space in my imagination for me to fill in. <laughs> Uh, that my imagination ran away with itself. And that's what simulation does when it's a promise to the players or mentioned, no, not even a promise. It forms a promise without even trying to. Exactly. Are we going to call it a name? So it, it, it's not the dreaded Nudo narrative dissonance. So what is it? It's a promise dissonance, isn't it? It's sort of dis, dis, dissimulation. No Man's Sky Syndrome. <laughs> no Mansky. No Mansky Syndrome. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, all we've got time for for this episode of The Craven Crowbar. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, you can, um, I always say that, but I say that later on as well. But like, <laughs> I am very gen, you know, I'm genuinely happy that, that everyone is listening. So why not thank everyone twice? Absolutely. Anyway, um, you can hang out with us and our community on our lovely Discord channel. Um, you can find the address for our Discord channel on our website, which is at CreightonCrowbar.com. CreightonCrowbar.com. Um, if you have a question for a future episode, send it to us at questions at CreightonCrowbar.com. 
Um, uh, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Craig and Crowbar. Um, you can also listen to our programs, perhaps you already are, uh, and also browse um, our increasingly aging uh, spin-off uh, program sets and programs, programming, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also uh, um, our other uh, uh, podcasts, um, and bits and pieces and things on our YouTube channel. Um, which is at YouTube slash, oh, I don't even know, user slash Crate and Crowbar, something like that. I don't know. It'll be on our website. Go to it. Um, Crate and Crowbar is kindly funded by our Patreon backers. If you'd like to know more about supporting our podcast and its spinoffs, visit patreon.com slash Crate and Crowbar. I think that's all the things. Um, so it reminds me for me to say, I've been Alex Wiltshire. I've been Graham Smith. And I've been Tom Senior. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. everybody.